All right, welcome to another edition of Bird Hunter's Garage. I'm Chris Jackson. Um, I really kind of want to give a quick update over the chapter ongoings. Um, there's really two main events that we have upcoming in the next couple months. The first is a pint night. It'll be at Springfield Brewing Company on March 20th at 6 p.m. So if you want more details for that, check out our Facebook page. We'll have all the all the items on there should have a gun raffle that evening and it'll be a, a pretty good time. It's just kind of a social event to get to know everyone in the chapter. Then a couple weeks later on, on Saturday, April 6th, we'll have a clays for conservation. That's a fundraising event where we go out and shoot sporting clays at Ozark shooters. Um, it's kind of between Springfield and Branson. Um, we did one back in August. It was a really good time. Um, had, it was a really successful event. We were able to raise some funds for the chapter. Um, so we're going to do that again in April. And for more information on that and sign up, um, you can head over to our Facebook page and, and should find what you need there. Um, so our guest today is Tim and Tammy Murr with Triple Flush Kennel. Um, we actually you might, might not have seen it, might have seen it. Um, we had a episode up there but the sound quality on my end um I, I didn't do a great job still kind of learning learning as i go on that side so my fault um but they've graciously agreed to uh record it again and we'll, we'll uh talk through some of the similar stuff that we did last time um but also maybe add in some new stuff so if you're able to listen to a little bit last time um you'll also kind of pick up some new stuff this time around as well so thanks, Tim and Tammy, for joining me again. Yeah, thank you, Chris, for the opportunity. Well, um, just kind of give everybody a background of, um, you know, your kennel. You're located uh, around Moberly, Missouri. Uh, I think the, the actual town is Jacksonville. Yeah, so, yeah, we are, um, I don't know, seven to nine miles from Jacksonville. We're probably closer to Cairo, Missouri. Uh, in the country. Um, we started doing uh, dogs. Uh, we're pushing close to 30 years at this point. Uh, started in Colorado. Uh, did, did probably more training than breeding. Uh, we bred maybe one or two litters a year um, in Colorado. But um, yeah, mainly, mainly the training side. We trained for a lot of um, Kennels in Texas and uh, basically, um, you know, more of the hunting side, I guess. Uh, things have really changed as far as, at least in, in my opinion, um, guys have uh, uh, went from uh, kennel type dogs to uh, more companion type dogs. So that is kind of uh, where we have been geared for several years is the companion hunting uh dogs and uh we're just uh real firm believers in uh keeping the versatility and um keeping all those parts and pieces together in the German short here. Yeah. And I actually found you guys and I was able to get um a pup out of your first litter. I had I think I had last pick of your first litter. Um and I was gonna kinda talk through my experience. Um 
you know, I knew I wanted a short hair and I knew that I wanted generally in the Missouri, Kansas area, I didn't want to travel cross cross country to find a puppy. I figured there was, you know, plenty of great ones around here. So I, I reached out and, you know, talked to several breeders and, um, you know, I, I felt really good about, you know, our discussions. Um, and so I decided to, you know, sneak in, in, in the last pick there. And I'll say, I think I got the best dog out of all the, all the litter. I, I don't know, you know, um, it, it just kind of worked out that way. It was, it was awesome. Um, but you know, my experience was, um, we got to see the puppies, um, you know, pretty early on, I think we were up there maybe twice before actual puppy pickup day. And so we saw them kind of with our eyes closed still. And then, you know, maybe a, a couple weeks before. So probably around six weeks we were up there again. Um, and my first bird dog, um, and you, you kind of offered and said, Hey, you know, I'll, I'll help you out a little bit. If you want to do the, the nav to natural ability, I'll, I'll point you in the right direction. It's all stuff you're going to do anyways. And that kind of opened my eyes to the hunt test and, you know, something I'm now kind of a firm believer in. Um, the first year, you know, we, we got to go call up there, I think three or four times and, you know, just little stuff where we're, we're, you know, way off course, but, um, you really helped kind of build that, that firm foundation, um, for Abe, just kind of keeping us on track and, you know, being first, first time bird dog owners, um, steering us in the right direction. So, you know, many, many thanks for that. Yeah. Yeah. We, we definitely liked, uh, I guess at the end of the day, we really like, uh, you know, whatever that dog is chosen to be, um, whether it be an adventure seeking dog or a hunting dog, uh, we definitely, you know, we, we want everybody to be successful. Yeah. And like I said, you, you definitely set the, the course for that. Um, I don't know. I don't know how we would have ended up, um, you know, if, if we hadn't got some, some of those key pointers at the, at the right time, but, um, you know, just kind of like a breakdown of Abe of, of how I see him. Um, he is a truly versatile dog. He, um, is, you know, covers a lot of ground when we're upland hunting He's gotten, you know, several different species, but really the thing that's kind of impressed me most the last year or two is he's, he's a waterfowl dog. I'd put him up against, you know, maybe not the absolute world-class best lab, but uh, I think he could hold his own in just about any situation. He's, he's uh, really come into, to a great place on, on waterfowl. And I think he really enjoys it. Um, and, you know, like I said, just a machine in the field overall, his temperament in the house, we have a two-year-old daughter now, his temperament in the house is, you know, he's never shown a, aggression, never had to worry about, you know, any, anything like that. Other dogs, he gets along, you know, he's an uncut male, he gets along with every dog that he's ever been around, uh, whether it's male or female, um, really couldn't ask for any more there. Um, I, I actually, Tim, I, this is a new story. Um, I wanted to share with you cause I think, I think you might get a kick out of it, but, uh, 
we, you know, just speaking to his temperament and, you know, how level-headed he is, um, usually we wash him at home, but now that we have our daughter, um, she takes a bath in the same bathtub we used to give him a bath in. So he was, after we just got back from a trip from Kansas and he was, you know, pretty dusty and needed a bath real bad. So rather than have to clean out the bathtub, um, and, you know, deal with a bunch of dirt in, in there, I took him to the pet shop and he has never been in a pet shop that I can remember, never had a bath other than, you know, in a bathtub and then up there with you guys. Um, and so I, I walked him down the bird aisle of this pet store and he was completely composed just like he'd done it a million times uh got to the you know very back corner of this pet shop and it was kind of like a self-serve uh dog wash gave him the dog wash we walked right back down the bird aisle where all these you know parakeets and chickadees and everything else were and you know completely composed you know he was he definitely has nose up in the air but um you know like it was no big deal he'd done it a thousand times and you know out the door and uh back home we went so it was like you know i i was probably more nervous about it than he was but it was like holy cow you couldn't ask for you know a bird dog to do better in that situation yeah that's awesome that's awesome um and then you know we've we talked i think you know the only negative thing i can say about abe is his his switch is a little little hard to turn off sometimes um and I, I think it's it's just gotten so much better with age too. Like he's he's uh, matured a, a lot in the last uh, two or three years. Um, but yeah, he's he's just uh, such a such a great dog. More more than we could have asked for. That's great. Yeah, um, that's something we have uh, hopefully have um, really further developed in our in our breeding is uh, that true off switch and um i think we discussed the last time one one of the things that uh is is oftentimes difficult to do is to to breed um for those that don't know uh we bred to an outside uh, uh dutch curs our female or male excuse me um we had spent some time with falco um but maybe didn't really have a, a real good understanding of his overall temperament, uh, especially that off switch. And so oftentimes, uh, you know, w- when we pair these guys, it's, it's really important that I, I get a real firm evaluation of, uh, you know, who they are. And, um, so I think, I, I think our um, off switch has really come along really nicely. Our puppies are always going to have a lot of puppy in them. You know, mm-hmm. they're puppy. They have a lot of puppy energy for that first year. But generally, with training and stuff now, these guys, um, we see it all the time now. You know, these these twelve to eighteen month old dogs turn into ten year old dogs uh, uh, pretty quickly. So that's and when we say ten year old dog is kind of the dog that you don't have to ever worry about. They're kind of you know just doing their thing they're not getting into trouble they're you know they can come in and uh lay down on the couch or their bed or whatever they want to do and uh so we have um 
besides our, besides our temperament, we, you know, we, we put a lot of focus in that off switch and, um, you know, we, we love dogs that, um, you know, have that, but, you know, there's definitely a gray line of, of getting too much off switch. If you've, um, you know, these dogs, we, we want them to, to tear up the country just like Abe and I've hunted behind Abe uh, several times and that's the kind of dog we want in the field every day. So, um, so that, that, that overall temperament is the, is a big key of, of kind of what we're doing. Um, and really focusing on, um, you know, keeping that versatility in that dog also. Yeah, that's, that's kind of, um, you know, what I would summarize your breeding program is just kind of a, a well-balanced dog that's versatile, but is really adaptable, you know, whether they're going to be hunting all the time or, you know, it's an adventure or, you know, whatever activity that they're going to be part of, they're just kind of an overall well-balanced um, dog. Yeah, I you know, I, uh, I trained a lot of dogs over the years and, um, probably some of the hardest dogs to train is those dogs that don't have the correct temperament and that, and, and what I mean by that is fearfulness, nervousness, uh, aggressiveness, uh, you know, fearful dogs are really hard to, um, acclimate to new things. So everything has to be kind of introduced to them slowly uh versus a dog that has a real stable mind you can i mean you can go from you know guys worry a lot about um you know gun shyness and stable-minded dogs are just never going to have that issue at all you know we we prep these guys um you know as if they could have a potential gun shyness issue but other things we see is, you know, we use launchers a lot in training and uh, we have to introduce launchers. Otherwise, you know, it becomes a fearful thing for that dog. And um, so, you know, stability of mind is, is so, so important in these guys. And we can't uh, we can't say enough about that. And we just we're we're super firm believers in the, at the, the length of training or the you know, the overall amount of training you can put on these guys because of stability of mind. Um, you know, they, it, you know, they, they take training pressure very, very well. And, um, you know, I've told this story several times about, um, a lot of our dogs, but, you know, you, if you get onto a dog, uh, verbally about something, uh, you can almost see it's like, okay, I'll, I'll try a little harder the next time. And then in fact, that's kind of what you see in them. So um, that stability of mind's a big, big thing. And uh, we've, you know, again, with that natural ability that we hopefully produce in every single dog as far as, uh, you know, retrieve and search and cooperation, uh, stability of mind's just right up there. And um, you really, at least in my opinion, you don't have much of a dog if you don't have that uh, stability of mind. Right. And I would say that's, that's kind of my experience when you talk about, you know, introducing them to new things. It was, you know, I was really, we got Abe in January. I was really stressing, um, introduction to gunfire and, um, wanting to get it done before 4th of July, you know, um, 
just so we didn't have any hangups with that. And, you know, I, I stressed and stressed and, you know, made sure everything was perfect. And, uh, you know, it was, it was a cakewalk. I mean, looking back on it, it couldn't have gone any smoother. Um, you know, despite me probably trying to mess it up. Um, it, it was really, you know, yeah, something yeah, that was got a dog that, that has a stable mind and has lots of natural ability. It's really, really difficult to, to not uh, get them where you want them. You know, yeah. they just, um, you know, if they, again, if they have that natural ability to, to retrieve really well and, you know, Hey, I, you know, I think if people have spent any time on our Instagram, um, there's, you know, uh, almost every puppy that we have that's eight weeks old is going to get in the water and they're going to start swimming. Mm-hmm. Assuming it's not, you know, January or sometime like that when we have ice, but that's, you know, that natural ability piece, the, you know, the search, the, you know, um, the prey drive. We talk, we talk a lot about prey drive here. We want dogs with lots of prey drive, but I think sometimes, um, too much prey drives a hindrance, um, uh, I think guys would probably argue at that point, but, uh, you know, when you have a dog that all they think about, uh, 99% of the day is, uh, where's the birds, where's the squirrel, where's the, <laughs> those, those guys are a little hard to entertain. They're also a little harder to train because they just have so much. I mean, you, you want them with lots of go or lots of prey drive, but, um, I think I could argue that too much prey drive uh, just really sets back, especially that, you know, if you're trying to steady a dog or, um, you know, you, you're trying to put those pieces together on a dog, um, that, that becomes really, really challenging. And uh, I just don't, uh, you know, again, love the prey drive, but too much is too much. Right. It's, it's hard to put it more in there, but, it's also, you know, you just got to handle, handle all that once it's in there too. So there's definitely a balance. Yeah. I think, I think dogs with uh, lots and lots of prey driver, you know, with a, with a guy that's uh, ran lots of dogs, um, that may not be an issue, but uh, mm. a lot of people are, are pretty green to the overall, you know, hunting dog. Uh, they may have had, you know, three or four through their life, but still, you know, a dog that uh, may have too much go in the tank, it's it's a little tougher. And so, yeah, that's that's, good. that's kind of our that's kind of our take on a dog as far as uh, you know, uh, keep them keep them out there hunting really hard, but uh, willing to cooperate uh, when I call you if I need to call you or you know whatever those situations are. That's a good point about, you know, experience levels because you might have in one litter, you might have someone that's, you know, it's their 10th bird dog versus, you know, someone like me where it was their first one. And, and, um, you know, having that balanced dog is probably going to suit both of them better than, you know, one extreme or the other. Yeah, definitely our goal is to, uh, you know, uh, when, when we're thinking about breeding these guys, uh, you know, we're, we're always thinking about we want to send home a puppy that is easily trained, has lots of natural ability, that, again, has all these parts and pieces in it, so it just makes it 
makes life a lot easier for these people to, uh, you know, train them, uh, live with them. Um, you know, they just, they just become a real jewel to the family when, you know, they have, uh, lots of cooperation, uh, willingness to please. And, um, so yeah, that's, those are important pieces when it comes time to us breeding. And, and one of the things I think that really sets you apart or gives you a, a good perspective of where your, <clears throat> where your breeding program is at is, is you get the opportunity to, to train a lot of, of what you breed, you know, somebody will, you know, get a puppy and, um, you know, it, it comes back to you at some point for a little training or, um, you know, in some cases it kind of stays there for, for a while, um, where you can kind of build on the basic obedience and stuff. Yeah. I kind of, you always use the analogy that, uh, everybody needs to be a trainer before they're a breeder. Um, that sounds a little, weird but if you train enough of these dogs you'll kind of figure out which ones that uh, you love and which ones you uh, wish you uh, <laughs> didn't have to train I guess but um, it's kind of it, it falls along the line of uh, now that you're a parent um, um, it would be nice to be a parent first and then a child right yeah. and then you would uh, understand where the parents are coming from so that's <laughs> kind of my point about being a trainer first and a and a and a breeder second but we definitely uh, yeah we're we have a very unique position in that we train uh, a lot of our dogs out of our litters and you know um uh We've we've had a we've had a couple litters that I just you know I I I want them spicy I want them to you know be uh, uh, great bird dogs but sometimes I think uh, we get too much of that and then the you know the the pup just has too much in and they just they just have a hard time settling and uh, that's again we're we're in that companion hunting side so. That kind of dog uh, makes uh, life difficult for you know a, a few years. So, uh, big big focus on that. Um, so when we when we get an opportunity to train these guys, uh, you know I put a lot of thought and effort into uh, you know what we're going to do with uh, potentially the next breeding. But the other thing we do too is uh, you know we just don't run from sire to sire every time uh, we breed the same female um, you know once we think we have a right we're going to make that a status quo breeding meaning that we're going to you know probably breed that throughout the life of um, that uh, female's uh, uh, breeding life so those are those are I think uh, to me it's it's an important piece and what I learned years ago from breeding show pigs and breeding show cattle was, uh, you know, if you're looking for kind of a, uh, oh, uh, what would I consider it to be a, uh, kind of an outsider or anomaly in a breeding, you always, uh, take them, you know, you, you try to put as much as what I would consider as hybrid vigor into that dog as possible. So I think that's what, uh, a lot of thought is in a lot of breeding programs is they, you know, they, they think they're, or I think sometimes guys think they're producing a better dog by trying to breed to a different male, but sometimes it's nice to just keep status quo when you have all those 
parts and pieces that we just uh, discussed, which is, you know, that, that temperament piece and that natural ability piece. Um, it's, it's good to just leave that alone, I think. Yep. It's, if you, if you find something that works and you're happy with, um, it's hard to get away from that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, No, I was going to say one of the things, um, you mentioned earlier, um, Falco was a DK from an outside breeding, but, but you've also have, um, some DKs, which, um, you've, you've imported from Germany. Um, do you want to kind of walk through what that process was like? I think that's, you know, something I I don't really know much about. Yeah. So, um, the, the, the DKs are, uh, definitely something we absolutely love. And, and when we start talking about temperament and stability of mind, it's really, really hard to find at least, in my searches, uh, which may not be uh, overly aggressive, but it's really hard to find dogs that have uh, what we consider to be that great temperament. And what we found with the the Dutch Kurzars is that they really put that part and piece into what we're we're trying to establish in our breeding program. And um, but the um, you know. I, I've I've imported um, a few DKs over the course of time, and uh, years ago I imported a male dog. Um, he was probably six or seven months old at that time, and um, the process isn't very difficult. Um, you know, there's no quarantine. There's no. Uh, it's basically you know being able to contact a German breeder. Um, and being able to, you know, get a pup out of their litter. However, with that said, I think it's um, it, it's sometimes difficult, and um, maybe uh, you know what I want versus what they're willing to give uh, to us as far as a puppy. Um, sometimes you just it seems like every time I've I've imported a, a DK. I've always kind of gotten whatever they thought we uh, should have. So um, that isn't necessarily a bad thing, but it could be like our very, my very first DK, the one I was describing, the older male, um, he had several issues that I just couldn't deal with. So uh, he didn't end up in our breeding program. Um, So it's, we, we have had lots of contacts with uh, German breeders, and uh, I think the most difficult thing is is um, certain things are lost in translation, <laughs> and um, it's 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 really uh, I don't know if the German language is uh, so much more complicated, or I'm so narrow-minded that I don't <laughs> understand it, or uh, what all the parts and pieces are. But a lot of times I'm I'm a little bit confused after uh, you know speaking with the with the, the German breeders. Yeah. I was going to say, it's probably easier now than it was 20 years ago, but yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah. It, it's, yeah. there's still a big language gap. Yeah. So, but the, you know, the overall process, you know, um, has changed drastically too. Um, 
now you have to have a third party involved in the shipping process where it didn't used to be that way, which, you know, it used to be the breeder would take the, the puppy to their, uh, you know, cargo, it would, you know, fly to wherever in the United States you were going to pick it up and, you know, you'd pick it up in cargo, but now it's, uh, it's quite a process with the third party involved. Um, they generally go to the breeder's house, pick up the puppy, get it on cargo. Um, so obviously with the third party involved, the cost of shipping has, uh, kind of gone, uh, it's probably three times higher than what it was, um, you know, just a few years ago, even. So, wow. um, that's, that's probably the worst part of, of importing, um, a dog from Germany is just the overall cost of shipping. Yeah, I can imagine. Well, that that's kind of interesting. I, I knew, you know, a, a little bit about it, but, uh, thanks for kind of walking us through that. That's, that's definitely, um, really, really unique experience. Um, one of the other things I think that set you apart a little bit is, um, you know, you, you really don't use e-collars. I think your philosophy is that you're not necessarily against them. It's just your goal at the end of the day is, is to not have to have one, um, on your dogs. Um, and you know, and I say you don't really use them. I think that it's just pretty rare circumstances that you'll get one out. Yeah, we, you know, we, we have the collars, um, on occasion we do have to use them as a tool for, uh, certain situations that, uh, you know, we can't, uh, control, uh, without that e-collar. So we, again, yeah, we, we definitely believe in the philosophy of, uh, putting what we consider to be just more training into that dog, but, um, I think, uh, again, if you have that dog that has the cooperation, the willingness to please, it just becomes a real uh, less of a challenge to do without an e-collar or any other type of crutch. Um, you know, we don't consider ourselves we, – we, we start puppies with food to kind of give them the concept of what we're looking for, but um, – you know, we're not going to be treat trainers where we have to carry a pocket full of food. We're not <laughs> going to have pinch collars on our dogs. We're not going to have, you know, all these different apparatuses to, you know, uh, to be able to handle that dog. So um, years ago, um, you know, we, we never touched a dog generally until they were a year of age. But now, um, you know, over the course of, lots of years at this point, but we, we start these guys at a very young age of creating a work ethic in them. Uh, generally at eight weeks, you know, we're going to start kennel training. We're going to start, you know, some lead work with them. We're going to start working, uh, for us, it's come, he'll sit, uh, you know, we're going to start teaching them how to load up on things. We're going to, and, you know, we're, in these dogs, what we're trying to create is just a habit. So when I say come, it's, it's just a habit in that dog. It's, it's obviously you got to go through, uh, different parts and pieces in that training where there's, uh, different distractions for that dog, uh, that you have to kind of work through to make sure that they understand, Hey, I have to come, uh, no matter what, but we're really trying to just put a, you know, a habit into this dog and uh, starting them at an early age has uh, really helped that process a lot. Right. Right. 
Yeah, I I think um, you know uh, one of the, another person that's a good friend of mine, Tom Ball. Um, he got a a dog out of you, and I think we've talked about it. Um, we really like that approach that you know you don't necessarily have to have an e collar on some of these dogs, um, and we we both have an e collar, but it's it's more of just kind of a backup uh, insurance insurance e brake or whatever you want to uh, call it. Um, sure. I yeah. think I think there's uh, you know that's that's great, and it it makes us feel really good when when you have a dog that you don't necessarily have to rely upon that electronic device out in the middle of nowhere where, you know, a battery or whatever might ruin your hunting trip. Yeah. That's probably the primary reason I quit uh, using an e-collars because I'm such a knucklehead. <laughs> could never remember to keep the, you know, the batteries charged or to remember to bring the e-collar itself or, you know, there was always something um, inhibiting that process. So, yeah, that, I mean, we'll run uh, GPS-only collars on on a few of our young dogs. Um, you know, you, you'll be hunting, um, say, a CRP fill or a big brushy draw or something like that, and a deer pops up, that young dog's probably going to chase it over the hill. And we used to... We used to get pretty excited years ago about, you know, dogs chasing things and what kind of still do, but um, I run a GPS on those guys. I, I've become more of a guy that, especially, you know, when you're in the Dakotas and you can see for uh, a long, long distance, uh, you know, just letting that dog run that game over top the hill, whether it's a jackrabbit or a deer or whatever, uh, they figure out real quick they can't catch them. And, uh, they're not not a whole lot of fun to chase if I can't catch something. So, but we we'll use those GPS collars just to make sure that you know uh, they're not chasing it to the next county. You know that sort of thing. But uh, just gives me a little bit of uh, uh, I guess uh, you know uh what am i trying to say here just a little confidence that they're going to return or you know i can i can check the gps and make sure that they're they're either headed back or they're slowing down or <laughs> you know something like that so that's kind of what we do with ours and um living out in missouri now is uh, has been a a bit of a challenge just because of all the trees we you know, we uh, spent most of our life in the western part of the of uh, the United States, and we uh, we definitely have a lot of open country there. Never used GPS collars back there, but when I got here and there's lots of trees, uh, that made me a little bit anxious about, hey, what are they doing in the trees? So that's that's kind of where the GPS collar came from. But uh, we do use them on occasion uh, for for young dogs that were, you know kind of getting their first season on them yeah yep i completely makes sense to me um one of the other things that i i think um is really special about your program to me is is uh what you do with the puppies um you know we we kind of talked about that a little bit but you put you spend a lot of time um with them before they they head home just exposing them to different things um doing uh i don't know puppy training um which is you know like like i said kind of exposing them to different sights and sounds and smells and um water and different different things but you also 
on the puppy pickup side, I know Tammy really, really coordinates that. And that's, um, a piece that she, she really plays a big part in. Um, do you want to kind of talk, talk through what, what goes into puppy pickup and what that experience is like? Yeah. So puppy pickup, you know, getting a puppy is, is a, is a pretty big commitment and it's, it should be a memorable one. So we focus a lot of our puppy pickup to creating sort of a family unit and, and showing people that, um, that one, they're going to have us as a resource for the lifetime of that puppy. And they're going to also make connections with other people from the litter. Um, puppy pickup is about three quarters of a day long. Um, we start off usually with Tim showing everybody the puppies, talking about um, the parents. We'll bring the parents into the puppy pickup, um, let everybody see how they interact with their puppies, especially the male dogs. Um, and we go over how we start our puppies with basic obedience training. Uh, we normally have our vet here to talk about puppy health and what to expect through the process of, you know, every vet's going to have a different protocol, but ideally we want everybody to understand the process of the vaccines and keeping their puppy safe. And um, we talk about spay and neuter at that point. And then we usually do uh, demonstrations with the older dogs to show everybody what their puppy is capable of doing. Um, we always have a home-cooked meal for lunch. We go over puppy pack information, answer questions, and just kind of make it a kind of like a family reunion sort of thing. Yeah, that was that was my experience. I think you know the majority of the people that got puppies in in our litter, uh, you know, we kind of stay in contact. We follow each other. We know we know. Uh, you know what everybody's up to so it, it, it definitely kind of builds like a family environment yeah and i mean that's that's i think what we focus on is you know we've got like you and and tom you guys are out of two completely different litters but you guys have connected and you hunt together and you know you get to enjoy dogs from different breedings and see the consistency of what we produce yeah, it, it's definitely been, um, you know, and you told us this, it's kind of like once, once you have your dog, you're part of the family and, um, you know, that kind of sounds a little corny, but it's absolutely true. I mean, it's, it's, uh, um, you know, everybody's kind of there to support you. Um, if you have questions, um, you know, Hey, my dog's, my dog's kind of doing this is, is yours doing that. It's like, Oh, Oh yeah. And here's what I did to, to fix that. So it, it's definitely kind of a support group too. Absolutely. Yeah, I think what we find with um, that sort of um, family type atmosphere, I think a lot of times it's it's um, potentially less intimidating to ask Tammy or I those sort of questions, so they'll ask each other, and uh, <laughs> you know, is your puppy what? You know, is your puppy still gaining weight? Is you know, are you are you feeding three cups? Are you feeding two cups? Or you know, a lot of those questions that uh, maybe they just don't want to bother us or whatever the situation is. But it it it's kind of a really cool thing to see. Um, 
you know, we've been involved in this for a lot of years and just how many people that are networked together now because of a, of a puppy pickup or having a TFK puppy. Yeah, it, it's, uh, it's really cool. And, um, and then, you, you know, once, you know, we have, we have, like I said, probably one of the first litters and then you kind of, you, you follow the, the later litters and it's like, Oh yeah, I remember going through, you know, this phase and, or, you know, I remember this milestone or something too. So it's, it's really cool to look back on as well. Yeah. Yeah. We, uh, we absolutely enjoy our puppy pickup day and, uh, you know, um, if obviously if it wasn't for great clients like you, um, you know, you mentioned Tom, there's obviously lots and lots of people out there, but we definitely couldn't do it without great clients. And, you know, just, uh, you know, any, any puppy's going to require uh, what I would consider to be a significant amount of work to train it, uh, to get it involved in whatever day-to-day activities or whether it be, you know, adventuring or hunting or whatever it, it it definitely takes time, money, and, uh, you know, um, you know, different resources to get that puppy to, to where they need to be. So, you know, we, we like to, we like to foster that, but without great families like you, uh, it's, it's really, it'd be a really, really tough way for us to, uh, continue this. Yeah, well, well I, also, I also think that having a good relationship with your breeder is is part of the process. You know, you're you're going to have that relationship to where you can reach out and ask the questions that you need to ask or, um, you know, just having that. That connection to for us, especially just being able to maintain that relationship with our clients we get to see what we're producing are they are they you know biddable enough for the most novice of handlers um are they doing well coexisting with either young children in the house or you know elderly parents or grandparents that may be living with them um so the you know us maintaining our relationship with our with our TFK family members is, is important for us as breeders as well. So we get to see a lot of behind the scenes stuff. Um, I share a lot of our puppies as they go through their continued development on our social media stories. Um, and I, 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 I think a, that's a very important piece when you're looking for bringing a, a young dog into your home. Yep. I, I agree. I, I think, um, you know, as far as a, a reputable breeder, I think that's, that's definitely part of the, the equation is, are you there for the, the, you know, all phases of the dog's life? And, and that's, that's something I think you guys definitely go above and beyond with. Okay. Yeah, uh, so, you know, Here's an example of a dog, and I'm not even sure how old Doc was uh, when he passed. 16 and a half. Yeah, I think he was 16 and a half. But uh, uh, an old client from Louisiana, um, 
purchased Doc as a started dog from us years ago, and um, you know, still up until um, up until now, we're we're still in continuous uh, you know uh, contact with him. Matter of fact, he bought another started dog from us here, what about a year ago or so. So yeah, the 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 whole family thing is, is awfully cool, but it, you know, like Tammy said, we uh, we get a lot of valuable knowledge from uh, you know our our clients when it comes time to understand uh, did we breed the do we did we pair this uh, female correctly? Yeah. Yeah, and I'll say you guys are are probably your biggest critics as well. You know, just just looking back and say saying you know this and that and um it, i think it, it really speaks to your program okay Thank you. i know we've we kind of talked through some some different things but uh tim do you have a hunting story for me for this year well i think the one i shared the last time was uh probably the, the perfect tim story which is uh <laughs> In North Dakota, hunting um, this year, um, obviously it was pretty warm out when we were up there, so didn't want to necessarily run the dogs. I didn't want to run the dogs into the ground by just uh, covering country. So we uh, we started in this big tract of land and and just started hunting objectives in the, in that tract of land, and uh, we did really well, right? right from the beginning and uh so we're just kind of walking along and um i have my phone open looking on onyx looking to see where the next objective i'd like to head to and happen to look out of the corner of my eye and uh i got all kinds of dogs locked up on uh on 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 something right so i'm probably 50 60 yards off of these guys and uh i Free up and put my phone down and uh, started walking toward them. And as soon as I made a few steps toward the dogs, up came a great big covey of huns. So <laughs> that's that's pretty typical for me. Uh, <laughs> you know, always uh, doing something else when I should be uh, paying attention. Yep, and then you probably got a couple looks from the dogs as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they. Uh, uh, especially when we were that far into the hunt that day, uh, they were getting tired, they were hot, and uh, yeah, so they were a little disappointed in, in the uh, owner's approach. <laughs> well, I got a, I got a new one. Um, so we went to to Kansas. Um, we went about as far west in Kansas as you as you can go. Um, a couple weeks ago, and. Um, so, you know, in Kansas, prairie chickens are open except in the, in the Southwest portion. And, um, you know, most of the state has greater prairie chickens, which you, they're limit of two, but in the Southwest, um, quarter of the state, they have lesser prairie chickens. So, um, those are on the endangered species list and seasons closed, um, for prairie chickens in that part of the state. I I had never seen a um a prairie chicken in Kansas and you know we're we're probably halfway through the day um my buddies are starting to get kind of get worn out and we drop in a a 
a wheat wheat field on one side and then there was kind of a draw with grass and then on the other side it was like a milo field so you know prime looking place for a pheasant to be hiding out and we start off and maybe 100 yards in um on the other side for me uh, three birds get up together and make kind of a laughing noise and i was like i knew i didn't say anything but i was like oh that was a prairie chicken that's wild um and my my buddy kind of looks at me and like that was that was weird um and then we go maybe another hundred yards and a, another a single prairie chick a single bird gets up and my buddy yells hen and then it flies i mean 15 yards from me and i can see I can see that it was it was a prairie chicken. I was like, oh no, that was actually a prairie chicken. That's the first one I've I've seen, and that, I was like, that's pretty cool. That's uh, you you know, there's not many of those around this part anymore. Um, so we we walked this whole big field, and there was snow drifts in it, and my buddy crawled out and um had to crawl through a, a snow drift, kind of got stuck, and when he did, he dropped his phone. Um, so we got back to the truck and he didn't have his phone. So we were like, Oh, and it was, it was lunchtime. So we sat down and ate a sandwich and then huff it back out there. And we knew that it was probably in that, in that snow drift. But as we were walking back, all of those prairie chickens came right back to where they were. Uh, so we got to, we got to see, um, you know, not, not once, but twice, um, them kind of fly around. So it was, it was kind of cool. Uh, probably, probably only ones in that part of the state that saw prairie chickens that day yeah i've i've uh i've hunted western kansas extensively i don't think i've ever seen a prairie chicken out there yeah it was, it was wild um my my buddy that um he described kind of the noise they made like a giant dove and i thought about it and i was like yeah that's uh, that's actually a really good description of what they sound like yeah yeah that's that that carryover habitat or when, you know, that mixed habitat where, you know, you get grouse and you get, uh, bird chickens and pheasants and, uh, quail in. Yeah. When, 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 uh, bird chicken or grouse get up, they're pretty safe because you're always thinking that it's a hen pheasant. Yep. Yep. For sure. But yeah, we didn't have, we didn't have much luck in, in Kansas. I think we always try to go to like the places where we think that, um, you know, don't get much hunting pressure, not your like typical hot spots. Um, but we, we saw probably more hunters than we've ever seen, um, around. And finally we, uh, stopped and talked to one and the guy's like, Oh yeah, you're only three hours from Denver. Uh, so it's like, Oh, we're, we're right. You know, not too far from a major metro area that you know, we didn't really factor that in. So I don't think we're going to be going back to that area next year. Yeah, that's that was kind of the trick. Because uh, when we lived in Colorado, we hunted that western part of Kansas a lot. Uh, but also, I lived in Goodland, Kansas for a while and uh, hunted, hunted that, uh, you know, north and south of Goodland and, and obviously east of there. So... Yeah, it it can get pretty crowded with uh, you know, uh the people from Colorado for sure. Yeah, it's it's we were kind of hunting, you know, our our 
spot that we'd gone a, a couple of years in a row. Um, they're just in a really bad drought. I think, you know, most of Kansas was in a drought. So we saw, we saw, you know, the very, very Western edge of Kansas had a little bit more rain, rain this year. And I think there, you know, we saw birds, but weren't able to really connect with anything. But, um, yeah, I think, I think we're going to probably go back to the probably more known areas next year. We'll see. Yeah. So that's, um, Northwest Kansas was the reason I started in German short hairs years ago. Um, lived there. I was a waterfowl hunter growing up and obviously in Northwest Kansas, there's not a lot of water. <laughs> so waterfowl really wasn't a thing. But when I was there, um, the pheasant hunting was, you know, I look back now, it was probably as good as anything I've ever seen. But they are so, um, you know, uh, the, the weather really affects that part of the world, uh, severely, which is that, you know, the, the droughts, the, the hail, the, you know, whatever it is. I don't think, uh, that part of the world is, has recovered since, uh, probably, what would it have been, uh, close to 2000, I would say. Oh. Uh, um, is when it was, you know, 95 to 2000, it was, uh, awfully, awfully good. Um, but we got, gosh, it was, I think they got, uh, I'm just going to say several years of drought in that area. And it just took a, a severe toll on that part of the world for sure. Yeah. We were, we were kind of talking, um, my buddy and, and me when we were out there, um, really out there you kind of have to have two good years in a row. You have to have one year um, for them to kind of come back. And then you have to have another good year for them to kind of boom. So it's, um, you know, in other parts of the country, you know, it might only take one year to have a, a pretty good boom, um, you know, of ideal weather conditions. But I think, I think, you know, from what I've seen, which isn't much, but you really have to have kind of, two good years to to have a, a just awesome awesome time yeah yeah kansas is definitely either good or very bad <laughs> um i'm i'd really honestly have never seen much in between I, I i hunted kansas for um gosh 17 years i think and um definitely some good years and then uh, lots of not so good years yeah, I look back to, you know, maybe the first year or two with Abe. I don't I don't think our my game bag was that heavy in, in Kansas, but we saw a lot of birds. Um and, you know, my poor shooting probably was the hindrance there, but um, you know, looking back I was like, man, those were those are probably I, I won't say that they were good old good old days, but they were better than than uh what we've seen the last couple of years. Yeah, for sure. Okay, well we're we're uh right up around the hour mark. Um is there any any other items you wanted to cover? Um I think the only thing is is uh we have a train the trainer clinic if anybody's interested uh, on April 13th uh this year so um if anybody's interested in coming and seeing how we do or how we train dogs, uh, we'd love to have you and 
Um, Cammy took generally cooks a big meal, and uh, we we just have a good time uh, talking about dogs and uh, training. Yeah, that's um, so. It's kind of a a learning um, your approach to dog training, and you get to spend some time um, kind of in a small group setting where you can really dive into you know specific questions and and also just kind of go through your overall um, program as as how to train uh, from your perspective. Yeah, yeah. So we um, we spend a lot of time on obedience items, and uh, we do uh, you know. We, we go basically from the ground up as far as the hunting piece, uh, you know, from uh, how do we plant birds to, you know, uh, what sort of cover do we put it in for young dogs versus older dogs. Uh, we'll, uh, we, we go through how to start, uh, we'll go through how to start puppies in the water. We'll uh, talk about blind retrieves. We'll talk about, um, you know, force fetch or conditioned retrieve. Uh, we we try to cover every part and piece, and and just like you said, it, it's it's uh, generally a small enough group that um, you know we I can if somebody has a specific question about their dog, we can definitely um, you know try to diagnose you know what what's going on with that dog and uh, what's going to help that dog. Yeah, that sounds like a, a great way to build your knowledge base really fast. Okay, well... Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a good time for sure. And the best way to get a hold of you is you have a website, triple, tripleflush.com. Uh, yeah, and... yeah, it's tripleflush.com. Um, we're on Instagram, Facebook. Uh, we started adding more to uh, YouTube, so there's some videos now on YouTube um, that kind of give you a better idea of who we are, how we train. Uh, but Tammy probably provides the most content on Instagram, where um, you know I think you get a real feeling for uh, what our dogs are. Um, you know, just. Uh, probably, probably the last thing that I'll say is I, I've always used the the, um, the phrase that uh, life's too short to hunt with an ugly dog. <laughs> uh, still believe in that today. So um, we think we have some good-looking short hair. So um, definitely, uh, Tammy uh, shows those parts and pieces of our program for sure. And I do want to clarify, our website is actually tripleflushkennel.com. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Um, yeah, and I would say, you know, if if nothing else, it's it's a pretty entertaining follow um, with some of the stuff that, that Tammy posted. You really get a, a feeling for the different dogs and, uh, you know, what their day-to-day -day life is, and it's it's just good entertainment as well. Yeah, for sure. Okay, well, I appreciate your time, and um, if you have any questions for Tim or Tammy, um, just feel free to reach out to them. Yeah, thank you, Chris. We appreciate your time. Yeah, thanks, Chris.